Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Somehow you've got it. Maybe you're just listening on the website, but if you want to get it you know, on the go, there's apps for that. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. The Twitter is myfirstsketch, although I've been neglecting that. I'll try to do better on it. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. So this past weekend, I hosted Sketch Train as part of Toronto Sketch Fest. And I had such a great time with people from Toronto, New York, Philly, D.C., L.A., Newfoundland, and Mexico City. How cool is that? Thanks to Damien and Paul and the rest of the Toronto Sketchfest crew for entrusting me with that fun show on Zoom for the last two years. I will do it as long as they ask me to. Hopefully one day I'll do it live, you know, if I'm ever allowed in Canada again. Thanks, COVID. So Sketch Train has left the station, and <laughs> I can't believe I wrote that. But Sketchubator, Philly Sketchfest's monthly sketch comedy open mic, keeps on going. This Friday night, April 1st, 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. All the information that you'll need to know is on sketchubator.com. But today's guest is Jason Singer, currently a member of High Drama based in Philadelphia. If High Drama sounds familiar, I've talked to a number of the other members. Like DC Fisher back in episode 3. He was the first person I did a full-length, long interview with. Jackie Wolfson, episode 6. First person I did a long, live interview with. And Kurt Reedy in episode 32, an interview that got cut short because my time in the rehearsal space that I was renting ran out. So we had to talk really fast. But now we're talking to Jason Singer. Jason's first sketch is called Call of the Wild. Jason reads the role of Jared. I read the role of the father and the visual information. And the fact that I say that he's the father kind of ruins the joke. Anyway, let's go to the sketch. Lights up on Jarrett walking to the front of the stage. He monologues. The following monologue is to be taken entirely to the audience without looking behind him. Jarrett begins slowly stripping at a pace that would suggest epicness. 1,000 years ago, on a dark and stormy night, one man's journey begins. He has a long journey ahead of him, and it has taken him years to get to this part of his journey. He is tasked with destroying the beast. He creeps out onto a shady bluff, and he can smell the beast is near, but he is not discouraged because his iPod is cranked. Jared's father enters and creeps closer and closer to him as he speaks. This must be nonchalant and blank, unassumingly faced. The beast is getting closer, so the young warrior prepares his spear. As he can hear the beast's ever-so-quiet steps creeping closer and closer, the brave warrior raises his spear and goes to strike the beast just as he leaps to his back shoulder. Ah! The father has reached out and touched Jared's shoulder at that exact moment. Dad, what the heck? 
I told you never to bother me when I'm doing my workout regimen. Oh, come on. What? What? What do you want? Supper's done. Fine. I don't care. Get out. Get out. Come on. Let's do a casserole. Hurry up. I hate you. Get out. Father leaves. Jarrett throws the shirt at the door and turns around visibly upset to the audience, then snaps out of it at once. It was a dark and stormy night. And blackout. Where there's lightning, there's thunder. Where there's trouble, there's Donder. Meet Donder. I'm Donder. A.K.A. Jeff. Maybe we can work together someday. That would be a dream come true. Jeff wants to be a superhero. You got a pen? Uh, uh, yeah, in my fanny pack. But he's not very super. Help! He has one chance to prove himself. My name is Candace. I'm with the Nondescript. That's the biggest super agency in the city. But will that be enough? What if I'm not very good at picking teammates? Here's the plan. I punch him. Then I punch him. I'll pull off his penis and punch him in the balls with it. When we put so much into becoming someone we never become, we forget one important thing. I've been chasing one thing for so long, I, I don't even know who I am without it. We never stop becoming. Listen to Tights on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Hey, I'm AJ Schrader, and I believe everyone has a story worth telling, and also that I should potentially profit off of their stories. That's why I started the podcast I Wrote to a Pilot, where each episode I talk to a not-yet-famous person about their television interest and then make them read a television pilot I hastily wrote for them with the hopes of catching the eyes of the president of television. It's available on most major podcast platforms, or you can find out more directly at iwrotetoapilot.podbean.com. First times can be awkward for everything, including comedy. So why not look back at a comedy writer's first attempt at making an audience laugh? From Philly Sketchfest, have a listen to My First Sketch, the podcast introducing you to sketch comedians from around the world, starting with their first sketch. Hosted by me, Josh Hyam, we'll explore how a writer got started, what shaped their sense of humor, and where they go from here. Check out My First Sketch at myfirstsketch.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going? Uh, so tell me about the sketch called Call the Wild. So my Google Drive says the last time I opened this was 2011. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was closer to 2009 or 2010 when I wrote it um, as one of my, my first sketches for uh, High Drama when I, when I moved to the city. Was this ever performed with? Yeah. High Drama? Yeah. How'd it yeah. go? It went fantastic. I think the the surprise, like, because you, you see the person creeping up and, and nobody knows like this is the son's dad until he turns around and screams dad. There's only that little hint of, you know, my his iPod was cranked, you know. So I picture I pictured this kid just being in his room, but on a stage, you know, it's bare bones. You don't really have anything to go by. So there's a lot of surprise factor. But it went it went surprisingly well. Yeah, the the idea that like 
there's a, a lot of sco- like sketch comedian like or sketch teachers like if you take classes they will tell you like you have to tell your audience everything up front so that they don't miss the joke and this is the exact opposite of it and it and, it, and it, i'm sure it works like yeah like, it works great and i think that's bullshit <laughs> it, well I, I mean it in the fact of like your audience needs to know you know what the setting is who these people are like immediately like i during the pandemic i took a, a online class at with the groundlings and the dude was telling us very much like all right we're we're writing in a way where you don't have a set you don't have costumes like so you need to get all that information out like right away those first like two three lines like oh what a lovely day in this record store you know like that kind of stuff yeah um i mean p- part of part of that is well the the mystery is almost it's it is telling the story but the story is for your for your audience the story is you know i'm some young warrior and i'm out here and then there's the reveal yeah so i think that kind of comes out but it's just it's just misdirection right i don't totally agree with you know that teacher's mindset of everything has to be laid out right away for sure like those little bits of surprise and revealing the joke like works perfectly with this. So, yeah, I think, might, I think if you'd be wrong in this part. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're taking a class for sketch writing and maybe you haven't, you don't have storytelling, you know, uh, history or background, or you haven't done this before, or you haven't seen a lot of it, then this is probably something that, yeah. Hey, here's the fundamentals yeah. you, that you need to have these where people will get lost. Yeah, you kind of you kind of need to learn the rules before you're allowed to break them. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the beginning. Let's go back to um, what were you into growing up? What made you laugh? I don't know. What did make me laugh growing up? I probably probably very very mean humor made me laugh growing up, making fun of people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I was you know one of those kids that laughed at that kind of stuff. But I came. I I was very poor growing up, so like it was very easy to to put stuff on other people to make myself feel better about right. myself, you know I, I i i definitely understand that mindset for sure like i get i, I get where that's coming from yeah um like what kind of like tv like was there like a favorite show like that really um i, I watched a lot of tgif you know it was like half fantasy because like these were these were awesome families <laughs> but, but, but it's like you know, no, the 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 alcohol problem was was the major issue of the episode. It's like, huh, that my, my life is way worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like it. Some of it was comedy, but some of it was like, fuck you, fuck you, like, you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, I it wasn't totally like TJF era, but like the idea of like the problems on Saved by the Bell, yeah, aren't really problems, like. Right. come on oh you met a girl that's in a wheelchair how will you ever cope with this zach morris you know like yeah t- what era tgif because like uh family matters okay um i think full house was on there was it i think so for at least a while yeah yeah what else there was that there was that one uh with uh the guy cody who lived outside and oh um step by step step by step yeah yeah that one cool i just remember like because as tgif went on it got a little weird like there was a a year where there was like an angel show and a a genie show 
and then really? Sabrina, like, yeah. I, I think like Sabrina came first, and then they're like, all right, let's let's play with more magical things. And like the I, I think there was one that was like the kid dies in the first episode and becomes his best friend's guardian angel. And that was what they wanted t- the TJF show to be. And it so so at some point the writers of TGIF realized, okay, we're basically babysitting the kids so their parents can go get drunk. Uh, it, we have to make it, it seems that way. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you come from more of a performance. Were you like, were you like into the high school plays and everything? Oh no, not at all. I oh. actually, uh, I played varsity football for all four years of high school. I sold a lot of drugs, uh, <laughs> most, mostly marijuana. So, you know, dr- drugs. Uh, they were drugs then. Um, now they're just. <laughs> sleepy time medicine i they're my sleepy time tea remedy i uh i think you may be the first person i've talked to on this podcast that's admitted that i feel like a lot of people have just done that oh i'm i'm not gonna say they didn't i'm just i think you're just the first one that said it i arrest me (laughs) 25 how how many you know i sold a bag of a, a nick bag to a kid and he made him yeah. pay $25 for it. Find uh, this random comedy podcast and enter it into evidence. I, uh, I didn't get it. So I start, I, I started off, I insisted on getting my way into college because nobody in my family, you know, had done that. And uh, my, my sister did start going to college um, probably right around the same time I did, but uh, nobody prior to us had been in college. You know, my, my parents were very, blue collar, you know, manufacturing. My dad was a truck driver. Um, my entire neighborhood is just very, very poor and, uh, and, and very drug laden and uh, always in trouble with the law. Like the entire Are you from Philly originally? <laughs> I wish. No, this was <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in the Poconos. Okay. The, the Poconos is the secret drug haven of the North of Northern Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so I just had to get out of there, right? So I uh, I started applied for loans. I got into Northampton Community College. I was like, okay, well, what what does a poor person do to not be poor? They're a doctor or a lawyer. Well, fuck being a doctor. That takes too long. I didn't know the <laughs> lawyer takes just as long. So <laughs> I started taking criminal justice courses. I took one criminal justice course, and I was like, well, law is stupid. Uh, <laughs> you have to. So my first my first criminal justice course was all about like just just laws right yeah and i would memorize like 50 one-liner laws at my first week and then the next week we had to memorize 50 more and there was a quiz every week and every week it's the the professor was like okay these are the ones that have changed from last week and it's like wait what the, they're changing all of these are changing from last week Every week they change them. It's like, yeah, a little bit. They adjust them. <laughs> I this is stupid. Like I dropped out of college, and one of my last straws was I was dumb enough to take a biology class, <laughs> and they expected us to. What is it? okay? So it's King Philip. King, like it wasn't Kingdom. It wasn't Phylum. It might have been Genus. the The professors expected us to know what every genus of animal was. And like how they got to that, like that distinction. I was like, this is way too much information that 
I never need to know. Like, yeah, this, this, this shouldn't be like an intro to bio deep. class. Unless you're gonna dive deep, like that's later on stuff, man. Yeah, like I'm not working in a zoo. Like I, I just need, I just need a science to fulfill Gen Ed. So the I anth- obviously I, picked the wrong one. The anthropology class I took was totally different. It's exactly what like a 101 intro course should be. It was like, these are the coolest things about the great apes. And these are the coolest things about the, you know, Neanderthal. And these are the coolest things about fossils. And it's like, I love this class. <laughs> like, just tell me the cool shit. 19 year old Josh probably wishes he knew that. <laughs> like, um, There's still time. You can go back. <laughs> oh, I, I've got friends that are, play that drama a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so okay, so you go to co- you're in college. You do- oh yeah, doctor lawyer doesn't work. Criminal justice classes is garbage. So I switched to like a general studies track, and I just started taking courses. And um, it was it's a and, and uh, I took I started taking my real getting my real estate license certification there. So I, I tried doing real estate for a while. And this whole time I'm working like odd jobs, like grocery stores and server and waiter and stuff like that. And then um, I transferred to the main school in Bethlehem. And it was probably like my, it was supposed to be my, my last semester. And I took an acting class to get an easy A. I still had no clue what I wanted to do. But, you know, I had just got my real estate certificate. So I thought this is how I'll make money. And I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which is this actually a pretty great book about um, the difference between being poor and being rich. And this kid that grew up and had a rich dad and like somebody that was his mentor and then his poor dad, the, the guy that sucked. <laughs> I'm sure he was great. But uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so like I had this thought that, you know, hey, real estate's the way I'm going to get out mm-hmm. of this whole shithole thing that is poverty. And I took an acting class for an EZA. And um, my professor at the end of it said, hey, you, you, should, you should think about doing this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you know, go on to a four-year school and get a degree in, in acting or theater. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> he, was the, he was probably the most offended I've ever seen a professor. He's like, <laughs> oh, I don't, that's, how do you think I got this job? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like Oh, I don't, I don't know. I just, I guess I didn't think about it. So, uh, yeah, so that's, you that's, take, where it, that's where it kicked off. You take acting as an easy night. I feel, I could be wrong, but I feel like in, an acting class is one of those traps where you think it's easier than it actually is. Oh yeah. There's a lot of work. Like, you know? if, you, if you do it, the pro, I think the reason it becomes an easy A is because it's hard to hold, hold people accountable that aren't ready for that mm-hmm. so you get a bunch of people in there that are like oh yeah i'm in here for an easy a and then you ask them to memorize uh a short you know a short thing and they're like oh uh i can't even i can't really do that that's yeah. not something i can do so then they just they're allowed to read it and they're fine so the professor's like hey good job here's where you can improve and they're like all right so i'm not going to do that you know? <laughs> So this, this professor actually like believes in you and, and thinks that you're relatively talented after the end of this class. Yeah, he gives me some advice. He's like, you know what? Why don't you try getting into a play, you know, uh, over over the the break and see if you like it. And I was like, 
okay. So I auditioned for a play. I, I was there. This, I, this, this whole series of this first audition and play is just ingrained in my memory because it was one of the best experiences of my life. Great. And it totally changed my thinking about where I wanted to go with my life. And I was like, I can get rich eventually <laughs> through acting. <laughs> so I was lied to. And <laughs> I assumed, I assumed that's what it was. Nobody lied to me. If I asked, they would probably be like, eh, probably not. Um, but uh, I, I auditioned and I, I was just floored by the talent. Like there was a lot of people at this community college that were in this theater program and uh, they, they were all really great. And I was auditioning and I, they, I was there till the end and they really had been like slotting people because you could tell, like they'd kill it and then be like, okay, you can go. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be the, I'd be left with just a few people that they're like, I don't know if, I don't know who we're going to slot here. Like we, we already have our old guy. We already have our, and the, and then this old guy goes up and does this monologue and he was probably like 70. And I was like, oh man, that sucked. Like I could do that monologue way better, even though the part is written for an old for man. Old guy. Yeah. So I was like, could I try that? And I went up there and I did it. And the director was like, good job. Yeah, that's you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, that's great. What was the show? Uh, it's called Moon Children. I've never heard of that. Uh, it's a play about uh, kids dealing with the, the war in the 70s. And um, like get the draft and all that. And there or was at the 60s. Um, that error that's fine yeah no yeah no so and, and this um this group of kids was living together and it's male and female and it's interracial and so they're talking about when they're in the the apartment together it's all set in the apartment and they're talking about like the issues they dealt with and you know one of them is getting drafted and you know he's preparing to burn himself alive in the street and um this old man, the, the, the guy that I play is the landlord. And he comes in once in a while and he's like, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, this and that. And he's, you know, just being an old guy who doesn't get interracial, doesn't get mixed genders living together. And um, I basically just have like a couple of really long monologues that are wildly inappropriate. Like I talk about, um, I have this dream where I have to artificially inseminate this black woman in a tribe in Africa, and I'm the the uh, the witch doctor, and I, I have these people believing that I have the moon has to be full, and I get a guy to jack off on a leaf, and then I put the girl up on a plank, and I like slide the leaf into her, and I'm describing this scene to these you know kids in their apartment, and they're just like. is it is that Uh, character played for comedy like or is it i think so but um yeah the the character plays it completely straight right but it's it's pretty wild yeah and you're like so you beat up this old man to play an old man yeah i assume you get to do the fun old man makeup Oh yeah, yeah. The the wrinkles and I I uh, grayed out my whited out my beard and hair. I looked ridiculous. So, and you said that that experience is like the best experience to have of a first. Yeah, I mean it was terrifying because I never had to you know memorize anything that long before. I mean it was it was a wild monologue, but um, both of them were. 
but uh, the the experience itself was really, you know, the interaction with peers where they didn't care about where I was from or who I was. They were just happy to play with me, you know? Yeah. We, we played trust games and we did like exercises and we like, I was, I felt like for the first time I wasn't trying to compete with anybody because we only all had our own special thing that we were trying to achieve and it didn't interfere with anybody else. And we were all, uh, we were a group of people that just became a team and, and our, our, our competition was, you know, the audience to make the audience feel good. And uh, it's the first time I ever felt like, you know, I can be on a team and work hard to do well. And it's, you know, the applause is the reward, not like winning, so to speak. I mean, how is it so much different than like being, you know, in a cast versus being in a football team? Like, yeah, there's did you always feel somebody- that drastic difference? so much difference there's always somebody gunning for your spot on a football team like i started varsity Mm. but but there was always somebody that was like working hard to try to take my spot and if i got injured forget about it you know and if i didn't if i messed up a bad play or or, you know something that i shouldn't have you know messed up get them out of there you know (laughs) so yeah and a play there might be an understudy but you're not going to get pulled right immediately like in the the first act of yeah. Like you had to actually go down hurt on completely unable to be sent to the hospital basically before you're pulled from the show. Yeah, exactly. We're up COVID. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> how long do you go to school to do more theater? Like, do you yeah, keep doing yeah. that track? Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I, I actually, uh, I, I stayed on a full another um, year to take their, um acting program um and it was fantastic like we only had two acting professors but they're they're two of the most fantastic acting professors i've ever had and i went on to have more great acting professors but but these two were just fantastic um so i spent a full year with them took uh, up to acting level two took a lot of movement and voice classes uh and i pretty much already completed enough like other classes to graduate. So my entire year was just acting classes, which was, that's, that's something you don't get to do very often in, in college is just focus on your core stuff. So um, that, that was a blessing. And then, you know, my, my professor, as I was, my one professor, as I was leaving, I was like, do you have any advice for me? Cause he had not cast me in so many things like the first semester I was there. And I asked him one time, like, why, why don't you cast me? Like, I feel like I'm good in this. Cause he asked, you know, he's like, you can get feedback if you want. I was like, all right, why didn't you cast me? And he <laughs> said something that was profound to me. He's like, I don't trust you. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're, you're an ex football player. You come into this community college, like you're, you're doing really well, but I don't know. I don't know that you're going to show up. You, you haven't been here. You haven't been doing this for more than a semester like you could, you know, lose interest tomorrow. And then I'm stuck with nobody at the performance. I don't trust you. Maybe next semester. I was like, Oh, okay. And then the next semester he cast me in everything. (laughs) Mm. But, um, the other professor, he, uh, that, no, that same professor, he gave me this other advice. He said, you know, moving on to this, uh, a four-year university, he's like, 
um, I was like, you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm coming in as a junior. All these kids have been here since they're a freshman. Like they really have a leg up. And he's like, yeah, they do. Good luck. And I'm like, well, what do you suggest? <laughs> he's like, get in to meet everyone as fast as possible. Get into as many shows as you can. It doesn't matter if you're working backstage, if you're holding a prop for someone, doesn't matter. Just meet everybody, be as helpful as you can and get into every possible show that you can. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're helping with the show or in the show or something. So I did that um, and it worked out really well. I was, I was cast in a lot of stuff coming out, coming in my second semester there and then moving on. Uh, is there any like particular role that was that stands out as like, your favorite that you've done? There, yeah, there's a there's a couple. There's well, there's there's two main ones that I really love, but um, the the first one's a Shakespeare, and it was not a comedy at all. Mm. Uh, and I played um, Hotspur in Henry IV Part One, which is just this violent Neanderthal like character who I got to do a lot of sword fights, which was fun. Uh, but the the comedy one was uh, a play called Almost Maine. And I played, I think, three or four different characters. Um, it's an absurdist play, but there's a hell of a lot of comedy in there. And I met some very good friends during that show. And uh, yeah, it was it was just fantastic. It was it was hell. The show, the actual shows were hell. I see the look on your face and you're like. I, no, I feel like my nephew was supposed to do that show. Oh yeah, like like and COVID canceled it. Mm. Like That's in his high school drama, I feel almost made sounds familiar to me. It's it's a it's so it takes place in this town called Almost Maine, and the reason the town name is called Almost is because they didn't they 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 went around they. They got together and they were like, hey, we should name this town. And they came up with some ideas, but mm, all of them were kind of almost what the town name should be. Mm-hmm. And then they just left it. They were like, okay, I guess it's almost Maine. <laughs> um, so that was the town name. But it was basically a, a bunch of uh, mini love stories all strung together. And they kind of had a, a through line and the characters all kind of knew each other. But it was a bunch of different you know, love stories. Right. Okay. So this wasn't the one that got canceled. He actually did this one. Okay. I, I, I forget what his character's name, but he was like a gay couple. Yeah. I played that one of those guys too. Yeah. yeah so, all right. So my nephew played your role, maybe. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, play, the play traditionally is just two characters and they play every everything. Couple. And, um, you know, with with a school, it's it's tough to. So to it's one of the, it's one of those shows where you can fill out a cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you like, you know, depending on how many people you have, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I think we had four guys and four girls, and you could have had like up to eight guys and eight girls. So, uh, or maybe it was less than that. I don't know because I played four characters, um, and they were all just ridiculous characters. Like the opening one was like. You know, there's this woman in my backyard and it's like snowing like crazy and it's freezing outside. I'm like, hey, what are you what are you doing? She's like, I'm just uh, trying to fix my broken heart, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but she's got this bag of shale. And when she shakes it, you know, you can hear and I'm like, "Uh, maybe I can help. And then, you know, I 
I start putting together her pieces of her heart at the end of it. It's weird, but it's funny and it's cute. And it becomes like these two falling in love all of a sudden, like I'm helping heal her heart. Um, there's this other one where I'm in a laundromat and I'm, I have two books and one of them are things that, things that hurt me and things that I, I love because I can't feel my character can't feel. So this, this girl who's in this laundromat is like, what do you mean you can't feel? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, like if I get my toast st st stubbed in a corner, like I can't feel it. So I write that down, toast stubbed in corner hurts so that I know, you know, and it's just this kind of like lower IQ person who, who also just really literally can't feel. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, she's so like taken in and they're kind of drawn to each other that she kisses him. And then she turns around and smack. Well, the, the, the play, the, 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 that little bit opens with her smacking him with the ironing board. And he's just like, Bong. and then he just continues on. And she's like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, why? <laughs> she's like, I just hit you with the ironing board. He's like, Oh, and I'm like, Oh, is that supposed to hurt? And she's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> and then, so she smacks me with the ironing board to close the scene. And I look and I, and I fall off the bench and I look up at her and she goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I look at her and I go, ow, she made me feel, you know? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's fast forward a little bit. Where, how, where do you get to Philadelphia in the high drama? So the, uh, out of IUP, I went back home out of my, my four-year university when I spent two years, I went back home to um, East Strasburg. And I spent a summer there just doing really odd job, short order cook, uh, construction, basement finishing, trim work, and uh, on houses. And I, I saved up a few hundred dollars, not much at all, but I, I had to get out, right? So I called up uh, Johnny Smith, who was you know already in Philadelphia from, from my school, and he had a, an apartment down there. And, I was going to check out like New York and Chicago and LA. And uh, I went down to Philly and I stayed on Johnny's couch for a couple of days to check out Philly. And I never left. <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. I loved it. I walked everywhere. Um, I, it took me like a few months, probably like three months to find a job, just living on ramen, sleeping on Johnny's couch. And uh, finally got a job and got my own apartment and, you know, the rest is history. What so, year was this that you came down? 2008. I Basically. was here when the Phillies won the World Series. Good. good. And I was like, oh, this is cool. People are storming outside my window. I don't know what's going on because I didn't really follow baseball. And I was like, what the fuck is that sound? And I'm like, yeah, that was a good year. That was a good month. Oh, can I curse on here? I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um. All right, so you moved to Philly in 2008, and you say that this sketch was written probably 2009. How yep. do you find out about High Drama? Actually, it was run by Johnny. Who, okay. So I started doing sketch comedy at IUP with a group called the, the Acorn Project, or uh, Acorn Asylum, I think it's called. Um, which, which later, no, I'm sorry, back up. It's called The Company which it's now called the cum pony. So they went over a little highbrow there. Um, it's after I left. 
Uh, so I joined that company, which Johnny Smith started at IEP. And I was in that group for about a year and a half. I wasn't in the first semester, but then from then on. So I was doing sketch comedy there. And then when I came to Philly, I kind of had to get my legs. I didn't really start doing, I didn't join that team um, right away. Uh, mostly because there, there were some folks that were not from IUP there that had to audition. And Johnny was like, well, I'm not gonna play favorites. No, you can't come in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what his actual reasoning was, but I did ask and he said no. And then uh, I, I think it was later in 2009 when he was like, hey, we need a, we need a spot. Can you, can you fill in? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I started writing a little bit, wrote this. Um, yeah. so, so where does this idea come from? It's called the wild. I have no idea. I think, I think, are you okay? No, I do. I do. I do. I was standing in front of the mirror with my iPad, my iPod at that time. And I was listening to Iron Man and I was had my shirt off and uh, I was like, <laughs> And then, and then my, my roommate opened the door and I was like embarrassed. And I'm like, that's funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then what could make it funnier if it was my dad and it was just calling me for dinner and that this is my workout regimen. And you know, I was kind of a nerd about it, you know? Um, so uh, you mentioned that this does, so you're kind of a substitute for high drama, which I, I guess I, I have very minimal memory of high drama. Like, I know y'all had the residency at the Walk and Fish, and you would occasionally come over to Fit, where I was more involved and in, in seeing more shows there. Because for whatever reason, I think I've said this to like Kurt in the past. Like, the Walking Fish felt so far away to me. It was compared to like, but at the same time, it really. I mean. I mean, now it's, it's entirely doable to get there. Like, yeah. I mean, probably coming in from the suburbs to get off at Market East, it was probably just as far to get to South Street to go to the Shubin versus going to Fishtown for, you know, walking fish. Like, yeah, potentially. But the, I think the challenge there is you're like Fishtown was not developed as much as it is now. It, you know, we're talking to 10 12 probably like almost 14 years almost 14 years ago yeah 13 years ago and once you got past like e even at gerard and all that like uh, uh, i was staying with johnny in uh in fish town when they started doing the walking fish and uh, I'd, I'd started living with him in west philly and then he moved over to fish town and I, I moved with him because i still didn't have a place to stay so and I, so I would get off from work at, and get off at the Gerard station and walk to Burke's street. Um, and it was just heroin capital. I mean, there's mm. always somebody with needle, like stuck in their arm, passed out, like in front of the school as I walked by. Um, so it was not a great area then. And then think about going, you know, another 20 blocks north of there. Yeah. Into Kensington. It's just, it, it was very out of the way. And the, the only mass train, like there was a bus that would run up there. There was like, you could take the L up and like walk through not really convenient or safe neighborhoods to get there. 
Yeah. It was only like three blocks, but it was a scary three blocks. Um, so most of the time I would just, I'd, I'd gotten a bike when I started living in South Philly, I just got a bike and I'd ride my bike all the way up there with my duffel bag full of costumes on my back. And, uh, it take like 25 minutes, like by bike. It wasn't bad at all. And it was a lot less scary because I didn't have to deal with public transit. <laughs> I, I guess maybe it's yeah, since biking by yourself versus having to deal with like the general population that tends to ride. Mm-hmm. But like even even thinking now, like uh, Gerard's like the last stop I'll I like going to, like in you know, that neighborhood. Yeah. Anything past that now is super sketchy and i grew up in that area too so like moving out as a teenager like going back is you know not something i'm very into so okay uh, how long are like so you sub for the show how long are you actually like a full-time member like does johnny oh. actually say like All right, let's go yeah. i mean right away like there was no formal discussion it was just like yeah this is our next rehearsal this is our next rehearsal. because at that time they were trying to do shows um, once a month, which is a lot, you know, right. to, do, to do new material every month. It's like high drama has tons and tons and tons and tons of sketches because, you know, we were just producing and a lot of it was not great. <laughs> <laughs> and, pro- <laughs> uh, you know, and I won't, I won't be, be the first to tell you that, but, um, you know, if you, if, if I think back to what we put on, some of it should not have been put on like it's just not cool but um yeah it was it was all for the love of the art and to try to get comedy out there and at that time i know several members of the cast were you know trying to do something with comedy and make it big you know mm. so this was the formula that they heard her work you know we got to put something out every month we always got to be putting out content and uh so that's what we were trying to do and so we would meet several times a week every week for months and months and months during that that walking fish residency was every month completely new material yeah yeah we would have we would put out postcards and it would be a new show title and we'd come up with new show titles some of them would have a theme it'd be a lot harder to do ones with themes um you know sometimes we'd skip a month or if it was like we need we need to not do this month or the walking fish had a show that would, you know, break our cadence because the show would typically bring in more, uh, more of an audience. Um, Cause they had right, re- they had a regular theater season. So if it overlapped with one of their shows, we wouldn't be doing that show. We wouldn't be doing that weekend. How long did that residency at the walking fish last? Several years. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Cause like, I don't, I never went, I, I've only ever seen high drama, like at other, you know what you know either for philly sketch fest or at fit back in the day like and it, it was always curious because i i think even when i would talk to kurt or something like you guys still uh kept like a, an audience from the walking fish like like there were shows that i think you know there was a philly sketch fest show where you guys sold out because your formal audience came mm-hmm. with you like and he was like yeah that's isn't that the hope like kind of and it's like yeah i guess so yeah we would have yeah i mean sometimes sometimes you know it'd be a dark and stormy night and there'd be two people in the audience but those two people we would kill for because we'd do the entire show right to them you know yeah. it was fantastic um 
and it was such such a small black box theater like a really intimate theater you could only you could only pack pack you know maybe 45 people into i'm probably overestimating there but i mean they were all tight together they're all really up on the stage the stage was only you know maybe 15 feet wide um and like six feet deep with a curtain behind the curtain you had like three feet back a door to outside and um a uh magic door it's not a magic door it's a door that opens from the floor um trap door trap door yeah a trap door uh with steep you know ladder down into the green room slash basement which was the entire length of the building so we spent a lot of our time down there during shows and when like we would then we all cramp up into that tiny space and close the trap door and all be back there we'd all be changing we'd all be have all props just lining the walls like it was it was packed it was hot it was sweaty it was you know not convenient not the best place but at least we had times because i've been in places that haven't right at least we had a backstage we had a green room um and we had a place where we could do this shit and people would actually come and watch us you know yeah we had lights we had uh, a sound person you know and then we we that the sound person eventually became our banjo player you know oh, okay so, yeah so i was kind of right that you had come more from a performance side so when it comes like <laughs> um in a roundabout way but then so how do you take to the to the writing process for sketch comedy like when it's time to generate your own material how's um, that come to you i i tend to write very absurd um i had i had some formal um creative writing and like script writing classes in college but it wasn't something i was really interested in mm -hmm. i just like performing and even when i was in sketch like the sketch um shows in college i I didn't really write a lot. I, I tried to contribute, but I wasn't that great at it. Um, and some of like the, the class shows that I, I wrote some and I wasn't that great at. Um, and then, so, so a lot of my stuff is just kind of free form, not really. And some of the other members of high drama will tell you this, like when, when Jason first you know shares a sketch, we're not sure if it's <laughs> any sense at all. <laughs> But I think they've grown to trust that you really have to see it on its feet <laughs> in order to get it. Uh, but so so for a very long time, my my ideas were just literally just ridiculous. I, I wrote this one sketch called um, Dragonfly, I think it's called. And it's it was all stage direction. Literally all stage direction. And the first read through they they were reading the stage direction out loud and it was hilarious uh, well, well obviously you read stage direction out loud but the way that they were reading it as if it was their character saying it i'm like wait a minute that's it you're going to read the stage direction as the character and there's no actual lines it's all just saying what you're doing while you're doing it right like, okay a dragonfly enters the stage. He is male. 
And then a second dragonfly enters the stage. She is female. Their eyes lock and they float around in you know sexual motions. A third dragonfly enters. You know, so there's this dynamic of you're watching something that shouldn't have words, but it does. They're just narrating what they're doing. And then it becomes violent and sexual and really horrible all at once. Uh, but if you were to just read it, you're like, nope, not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack, Jackie was pro- is probably always the, the number one person that'll be like, Jason, were you trying to not make sense? Like, what, what, were you, what were you going? Were you actually going for, hey, I'm just going to waste your time today? Is that what you were going for? And I'm like, no, Jackie, that's not. <laughs> Like some sometimes I'll um they'll ask if anybody has any new ideas around the around the table. Like when we get together, and it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do another show. Like this is our formal kickoff. Um, you know, anybody have any new ideas? And I'm sitting there with a blank page, and I'm like, yeah. So here's my idea. It's a rooster, right? There's a rooster, <laughs> and I just make something up because I don't have anything. And then DC will be like, I really like this, and Jackie's like. Did you just make that up just now? <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> and, D- and DC's like deflated. He's like, well, write it down. <laughs> make it official. Come on. So that, uh, that, that kind of tapered off, right? Because I, t- I started taking uh, improv classes at um, uh, in New York at, um, yeah, what's it called? Um, Pitt, UCB. UCB. So I went through the one through four levels of UCB in New York. I was taking the okay. China, Chinatown bus up there every weekend for like three years straight. I don't know. And um, I think that really helped me with writing because it taught me how to find find the joke, how to find mm-hmm. the funny and then run with the funny and how to elevate the funny. So that was my first kind of formal comedy writing training even though it wasn't meant to be it was meant to be this is how you build on something that uh, from nothing yeah i think that was the crux it's like okay now that i have this funny premise i now have a structure through improv that i can write something and build on it and actually use devices and do things like that um so that that greatly improved my writing immediately and uh, and helped me out a lot too I think you're the the last of what I would consider the current core of of high drama like that I've talked to. I think you're the last because you know it, there's people that come in and out like from my outside perspective. There's people that come in and out when they're available. Mm-hmm. There's performers that are more on the performance side versus the writing side. Mm-hmm. Um, but and again, I could be totally wrong. Um, how would you describe a high drama show to someone who's never seen? y'all perform so the, well the first thing i typically say is like it's like snl if yeah. you don't understand sketch comedy it's like it's like snl except it's not political most of the time so and then i would say like you know we we do a couple of short bits it could be crazy there's typically no real theme um you'll laugh i think uh some of our members are like hey don't don't say that. Say it's really, <laughs> really funny and, and like promote us. Don't be like, hey, you could have a good time here. Check it out, maybe. 
This like, might be a good thing for you. I don't know. It, look, it's all, it's all, what's it called? Um, it's, it's all interpretive. You know, what I think is funny. A lot of people don't think it's funny. I laugh at horror movies. Like somebody gets their head lopped off in an ocean. And I'm like, I wonder if the wave is going to carry that to another place. <laughs> Like, like I just, I don't, I think that's hilarious. Like, where's this head going to go? I don't know. Um, but like we, we've had uh, not high drama so much, but I was in this, uh, I call it a sketch group. It was more like drinking games with a uh, sketch in between uh, called uh, Bye Bye Liver. Oh, that's in, right. You were. Yeah, I, was, I did that for like four years straight, straight every weekend, just getting shit faced with uh, huge audiences, uh, huge audiences of 50 to 100 people. And it, it was it was a fantastic time, but the the comedy was so lowbrow and like you know it was hilarious, but it was also like cheap shots. And um, we we've had we had people just get up and walk out or yell, "That's not funny, that's mean," <laughs> and say, "All right, well, stop being here. That's not that's not a thing I can help you with. This is our show. You, you come to you come to a show where people are getting drunk and then like." Yeah, you came to a drinking game show. There's already somebody that yelled and then passed out in the audience, and you're you're questioning our. Like, you're you're worried we're going to get a little mean. Okay, that's <laughs> good judgment on your behalf, there, dude. Like, yeah, this is not our fault. You sh- you paid the money. <laughs> <laughs> we we didn't talk about it that much. Uh, I always ask people, who's your favorite SNL cast member? Um. If if I had to pick, it would it would probably be um, Farley. If I had mm. to pick, just kind of that. I love his style of just like you're not sure what's going to happen, and uh, it usually goes wild. <laughs> yeah, like that total wild card. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's you know it's a standard pick, but uh, I wasn't I wasn't like super into SNL, so. It, I probably should watch a lot more of it. So, uh, as we wrapping up, um, I asked the same two questions a little deeper, although we got pretty deep at the beginning. What's something that you've learned about comedy that you would pass on to a new writer performer? Testing is key. Uh, And and I don't know if this is so much in sketch because your testing kind of works with the group you're working at, but I'm doing a lot of uh, stand-up writing now. And you can write something that is freaking hilarious. Um, if you can, if you can figure out a way to test it, whether that's changing the delivery and the deliver. So, okay. Let me, let me edit my first thing. <laughs> <clears throat> figure out a way to make it funny. If you think it's funny and it doesn't land for some reason with your sketch comedy team, could be the could be the delivery could be the order of the words just if you think it's funny it's probably funny figure yeah. out how to make it funny for them yeah uh, that's one one piece of advice i guess yeah like the idea of trusting your intuition of mm-hmm. why this idea hits you mm-hmm. and figuring out why it doesn't hit other people like yeah exactly and it, it could absolutely. be that it could be like what um, you know, one hundred and one class says. Well, you didn't define who this person was. Why do we care? Yeah. Why do we think that way? It could be, uh, well, it's only funny because it's in this particular room that we're in. Like, well, oh, well, that makes sense. We're in a prison. <laughs> you shouldn't say something. You know. So, like, yeah, just 
I've I've seen I've seen time and time again like stand-ups go up and open mics and just bomb so hard and wonder like why don't they find this funny? It's like I didn't understand what you were talking about, bro. Yeah, right. Like that that was something that if I ever taught a sketch county class, one of the things I would always like really hit home, pound into their heads is context. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's something that Hydrama has done for me, especially early on when I was writing just the most absurd things. And Jack would be like, Jason, were you trying to confuse me? Like, what, what is the context there? Yeah, like, <laughs> if the audience doesn't know enough about this world that I'm trying to create in five minutes, mm-hmm. it's, it's not helpful. Like, they're not going to get it. Yeah. So. And also, from a performance perspective, a lot of people get into sketch comedy. They don't have any kind of performance background. I think it's clutch it's it's key it's it's another word that is like the point i i think it's important to figure out how to embody that character in some way to make it realistic yeah i think that's important some people will go up there and be like hey i'm i'm still jason up here and i'm just gonna i'm doing this sketch now and the words that i'm saying are funny and the scenario is funny it's like okay well make that a character like that mm. makes it so much more funny and finally i mean you kind of stumbled in acting. You tried to get an easy A in college, and then you ended up majoring and studying more and performing more. Why comedy? Why has comedy become such a big part of your life? It's interesting because, like, I don't like uh, I get ner- anxious and nervous around crowds and uh, on like I have, I have uh, uh, a, a stage fright, you know. So like, it's it's really not the applause or like feeling that love or whatever it's none of that bullshit it's it's really just the process like being creative in and of itself is is an outlet for me and if i write serious stuff and i've tried writing serious stuff it just gets dark and it makes me feel bad and i don't like Mm -hmm. it i feel icky and i'm like ah this is how life is and it sucks and i don't like it whereas comedy it's like i'm always looking for the (laughs) thing it's like so, so it's really the process. It's the the people that are in this freaking industry, the comedy industry as as a whole, are open. They're, most of them are open and chill and ready to laugh and ready to support your ideas and ready to share their ideas with you. It's just such a a nice, welcoming community. Um, and yeah, so the process, just being able to have something to uplift my creativity and my my happiness as a whole is is kind of why i do it if if i can make tons and tons of people laugh that that'll be my ultimate goal but um but i'm really doing it for myself <laughs> it's okay to be selfish about it for sure like yeah. um people whenever i ask that question a lot of people are like yeah you know like i like the selfish answer like it's honest it's good yeah, it's the only reason. I mean, do, do the the feedback is great. Like, if I get a big applause, I'm like, all right, cool. But then don't. No, nah, I don't want to talk to you afterwards. Not cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know, I know, you clapped. I get it. You liked it. Thank you. <laughs> follow me on Tinder. I mean, fuck, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> don't follow me on Tinder. That'd be weird. <laughs> I'm gonna follow this guy. His relationship status. Does that? We're gonna get you in trouble on that one. <laughs> I don't have Tinder. If my girlfriend <laughs> listens to this. I do not. I erased it like you told me to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun.
Jason is a member of High Drama, based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You can like High Drama on Facebook at facebook.com slash high drama, and check out their video work at youtube.com slash high drama. That's two M's in drama. That's why I say drama instead of drama. You can go to highdrama.com, but it hasn't been updated in a while, so feel free to yell at them before that. High Drama will be performing in Washington, D.C. at Bad Medicine Presents on April 9th, along with another D.C. favorite, Brick Penguin. Two shows at the D.C. Improv that night, and tickets and more information are available at dcimprov.com. And if you're listening to this relatively soon, Sketchy Bader is this Friday night, April 1st, 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's a sketch comedy open mic live on Zoom, so if you have a sketch you want to try out, feel free to reach out to me at josh at myfirstsketch.com. And check sketchybater.com for more details. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. We finally found a fatal flaw on the site. So it's still back to the basics, still really bare bones. But we'll be redesigning it soon. So you can also go to facebook.com slash phlsketchfest. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No-No which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.